Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The well-known author and more recently popular podcaster Malcolm Gladwell wrote bestsellers like The Tipping Point and Outliers before starting Revisionist History back in 2016. I found the show quite late on, but people have been raving to me about it for a while. And listen to a few episodes and you get hooked in by Gladwell's pithy prose and his eye for a good story, as he challenges orthodox wisdom about past events, a historical figure, even a song. Important in all of this is the belief that sometimes the best stories are found in the most unlikely of places, in the forgotten footnotes and the margins of our history books, or in obscure academic journals. A new season of the show is about to kick off, and I wanted to share a couple of clips. Here's the start of Divide and Conquer, the story of how a single punctuation mark could have changed the course of US history. Not long ago, I had a dinner party at my house. My friend Michael Ryan came. He's a lawyer. And I was talking to him about my love of law review articles, which is genuine, by the way. Here's a profession trained to find meaning in the particular and the arcane to make the implausible plausible, to defend the indefensible. I mean, how are those not the perfect ingredients for a good read? Plus, law review articles have epic footnotes. Scores are settled, subtle loyalty jokes are made, and the really outrageous arguments are slipped in just for the benefit of the reader who wants to wade into note 136 on page 87. I go on like this until Michael Ryan kind of rolls his eyes because that's what lawyers do. I never know whether it's modesty or self-hatred. But as you can imagine, I persist. And finally, Michael says, well, you're right. There are moments of genius in law review articles. Let me send you two of my favorites. The next morning, in my inbox, is an email from Michael Ryan with two attachments. I read the first, and I think, that's pretty cool. And then I read the second, and my jaw drops, and I say out loud, What? My name is Malcolm Gladwell. Welcome to Season 3 of Revisionist History, my podcast about things overlooked and misunderstood. The definition of a shaggy dog story is an extremely long-winded anecdote characterized by extensive narration of irrelevant incidents and terminated by a pointless punchline. Halfway into this episode, you're going to think that this is a shaggy dog story. It's not. This dog is not shaggy. You wrote this paper how many years ago? 15 years ago? Yeah, what is it published? 2004? 2004. This is Professor Michael Stokes Paulson, co-author of the Law Review article in question. Within days of reading his essay, I was in his office at Princeton University, took the train down, because it seemed urgent. In the email where he gave me directions, Paulson wrote, I'm always grateful to have anyone read my obscure, idiosyncratic Law Review articles. 
exclamation point. Idiosyncratic, sure. At least half of his piece dwelt on the meaning and interpretation of semicolons. But obscure? This is something with the potential to turn American politics upside down. No way could this article be obscure. So what was the reaction to it at the time? Thundering silence, as far as I know. I mean, I haven't been trolling the internet for it, uh, but I've never seen anything to suggest that anybody is remotely interested in this. Maybe you can convince them. Wait, am I the first journalist to call you and interview you about this? Yes. I'm trying to remember if anybody did back in 2004 or 2005. No, people are inclined to view it as a wacky idea. Right? You're taking a legal concept of something that's 170 years old and you're saying it's still operative. If you think about it logically, it is still operative. But people's intuitions are that that can't be right. Some have divide and conquer from revisionist history. And parapraxis is a mistake that betrays our hidden feelings and emotions. If it happens when we talk, we normally call it a Freudian slip. In Analysis Parapraxis Elvis, Malcolm Gladwell plays musical detective and enlists the help of the musician Jack White to understand why Elvis Presley kept botching the lyrics in one of his most famous songs. Tell me, dear, Wait, you 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 enjoyed that? <laughs> I did. It gets. I gets. Uh, there's some nice parts where it gets the. You can see uh, playing that live. Now that I just did that, like well, we just did that. I played it once yesterday, like reading this. Uh-huh. But now playing it like that, I could see wow, live. You could really that really could get to be a really emotional song. So I didn't really think about it till just then. What led you to think that just now? Because um, it feels like, well, it's in a minor. It's got a lot of minor chords, so that that that's already gets you in, in that melancholy vibe. But it has it has that. Um, what just occurred to me now is he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't really care that if she's lonesome, it's if he's lonesome. Mm-hmm. The, the singer is lonesome, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a MacGuffin to to pretend like I'm I'm worried about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you lonesome tonight? You know. But it's really he's the singer is worried about himself, so that could be um, you know you, you take that kind of emotional song and you put years and years on stage and then you put drugs in the mix and then mm-hmm. in your own state of mind at the time it could be a re, it, you you could be onto something there it could be a real diversion that it's too powerful to, to what's, sing. What's fascinating is the 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 sung parts the singer is in control. And he's worried about her. Right. The right. spoken parts, the singer is vulnerable and yeah. he's confessing his own. And it's so screwed up. It's like, I know you lied to me and I wish you hadn't. Right. I wish I didn't know that you lied to me because I'd rather be in the state of being deceived than know the truth, which is like right. 17 convolutions of neuroticism. Right. Because <laughs> he's, still, he's still blaming her most of the lines, still, still pointing the finger. White says, You can't run from that kind of emotion, not if you're singing the song properly. And so when he writes songs, he tries to establish some distance between himself and the feelings he's singing about. I try to 
push it into a character's standpoint rather than it being a, a self uh, confession confessional for me because I think that would be really hard to consistently keep living that moment over and over and over again. I've definitely seen older artists ignoring certain parts of their certain songs in their career because it's probably too close to home about something or other. But you can't avoid a song's emotional effects all the time, and especially not when you have to read a soliloquy in the middle of it, which is what the Are You Lonesome Bridge is, a speech parachuted into the heart of the song. I had a little flub moment at one point trying to figure out, well, wait a minute, it's a waltz. You know, you, you have that... Um, so if I'm like... I wonder if... Two, three, so one, two, three, one, two, three, two, three. So your, your brain kind of wants to go, I wonder if you're lonesome tonight. That's what your brain wants to do. And you know someone said that the world's a stage and we must each play a part. Then it starts to get, oh, that's oh, kind of oh, hard I see it breaks do. down. Yeah, I mean, it would, I, mean I, would, I can definitely say that this would be a lot easier if someone else was playing guitar and I could just recite uh, that part. Wait, should I recite it while you play the guitar? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so we, we do that? Great, yeah. I'm not going to torture you with my rendition of the Spoken Bridge. Well, maybe later. I'm just saying, until I die, I can say I played with Jack White. And then, because how many opportunities am I going to get like this? I asked Jack White to help me edit the soliloquy. If one were to rewrite it, I'm thinking you that you uh, you lose the first three lines. Mm. Fate had me playing in love, you as my sweetheart. Or even Act One was when we met. Why not? Why don't they just start with Act One? I do that. Act One was where we met. I loved you at first glance. You read your lines so carefully, never missed a cue. I do there. You say carefully instead of cleverly, which is a clever, beautiful front. <laughs> then came Act Two. You seem to change. You acted strange. What did Jack White do there? The actual lyric is, "You read your lines so cleverly." He said, "You read your lines so carefully, carefully for cleverly." A man singing one of the songs of his musical idol comes to the emotionally complex center. And what do we hear? A moment of vulnerability. Can he be as clever as Elvis? He's not sure. He must be careful. Parapraxis. Sometimes, you know, I love, I love him so much and, and that, uh, you know, I'm afraid to learn more about certain things. Like, it, 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 you know, when it's so, you're so close to it and you've experienced certain things about you know, nothing in comparison to what he went through, but you, you're in the same, we're, we do the same kind of thing. We, we perform and we go on stages and we make records and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm from a different time period, but you notice these tiny little moments that are, when you, when you see certain people, you're like, oh, I know exactly what that's about. I know exactly what that feels like. There are 10 known live recordings of Elvis performing Are You Lonesome Tonight? Starting in 1961, in a concert at Block Arena in Honolulu, up to the end of Elvis's life in 1977. Alan Elms and Bruce Heller analyzed them all in their essay, 
12 Ways to Say Lonesome, Assessing Error and Control in the Music of Elvis Presley. Elms and Heller find that Elvis performs the sung portion of Are You Lonesome Tonight more or less flawlessly, because the sung portion is the part of the song where the singer is in control. But in the spoken bridge, the narrator is suddenly the one who's been deceived and rejected. And that's the part Elvis can't get right. Elms and Heller count a total of 109 errors in those 10 live performances of the spoken bridge, 29 of which involve just four lines. I loved you at first glance, where he confesses the depths of his feelings. You seemed to change, you acted strange, where he testifies to his betrayal and rejection. And why I've never known, where he expresses his feelings of anger and victimization. And with emptiness all around, where he admits to his loneliness. The most problematic renditions of the bridge are the later ones, which come after the summer of 1972. What happens in the summer of 1972? And one day you went in and said, I'm leaving. There was another man in your life then. Mm-hmm. He was your karate teacher, right. Mike Stone. Mm-hmm. And you went off then and lived with him. Yeah. Priscilla Presley, back on the couch with Barbara Walters, America's primetime Freudian. It was said that Elvis tried to kill him or wanted him killed. Right. Do you believe that? I think at that time, yes, he did. He wanted that to happen. I do the chairs in your parlor seem empty and bare. Do you gaze at your ball head and wish you had hair? Filled with pain, shall I come back? <laughs> Tell me, dear, are you lonesome? <laughs> oh, Lord, Lord. I <laughs> A man who fears betrayal and abandonment is betrayed and abandoned. I had no cause to die. <laughs> it's too much. He's a wreck. So you, baby. <laughs> Shall I come back again? Tell me, dear, are you lonesome? Analysis, parapraxis, Elvis from Revisionist History, produced by Pushkin Industries.